So we start off where Luke delivers himself to the Empire. He's presented himself to Vader, and Vader's gone to Endor to collect Luke for the Emperor. Vader kind of casually and I, I dare say gently walks him through the hallway and they have a sort of uh, tense standoff where Luke insists that there is good in Vader and Vader says, no way, it's too late for me. Yeah, it's an intense conversation, but at the same time, it's not necessarily adversarial. Uh, it's just one that's clearly a, a family moment that is not turning out in the way Luke had hoped for. Uh, but Vader does indeed bring Luke to meet the Emperor, and then we shift back to our rebels who are plotting with the Ewoks to attack the shield generator station. They have a fairly uh, simple, primitive plan to trick the stormtroopers into allowing them into the base, which works at first, and at that point, uh, the droids create a diversion, which allows for the Ewoks to spring an attack, and essentially, uh, battle takes place. Yeah, exactly. So uh, kind of filling in a couple of the blanks there, uh, they're able to have a distraction and a bunch of stormtroopers go off and chase some Ewoks that uh, 3PO was able to signal for, them, or no, they were able to signal themselves. Uh, and then from there, they're able to break into the station uh, and the Empire surrounds them from there. Meanwhile, Palpatine is explaining and exposing to Luke and us, the audience, that in fact, it, the rebels are playing into his hand and this was his his uh, scheme that he had contrived all along. And in fact, uh, they had uh, a very easy way to trap the rebels, which of course puts Luke on edge, cut back to Endor, and that's exactly what happens. The stormtroopers kind of trap our rebels and the t uh, the tables have turned. Yes, they've, they've turned completely. It's not looking good for our rebel band. But then, like you mentioned, uh, this is when the Ewoks come in and and the Ewok rebellion force takes on the Empire. That's up for discussion that we'll chat about. And that's really the bulk of this 20. Uh, but with that focused on, we would shift back to the Emperor and Vader and Luke. Uh, they continue where Luke and the Emperor... Luke's seeing that he no longer has the upper hand. And the Emperor's doing what every great archvillain does. Laying out his plan to a T. <laughs> uh, and explaining to Luke how he's lost already. Uh, and then we see Luke decide to lose his temper and pull out his lightsaber, but Vader stops it. Right. The only thing we left out from that, of course, was what's happening up in the sky, which is a, a basic parallel of what's happening on, on Endor. Uh, mm -hmm. They think they're good. They're pretty sure Han's going to lower the, the shields. Lando's flying the Falcon. It's a trap. <laughs> and it's a trap. And they realize, they realize, of course, that, they're, uh, that they need to GTFO. Yep. And that's the 20. Yeah, it's a total all over the place. Uh, I was actually shocked at how much they cut back and forth in this. Yeah, there's a lot more that I've used. There are a found. lot of cuts. Well, and this actually felt a little bit more like a regular movie to me. Star Wars has uh, traditionally longer scenes than the average movie. Yeah, I guess but because the scenes are cut so specifically and in their kind of cheesy way. They're more noticeably changing. I guess that's part of it. But also, we're in the climax of the film now. True. And there's important stuff happening in three different places. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that's necessary. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the, the best uh, storytelling, in spite of all of the exposition that takes place, and you're right, the Emperor does kind of do that tropey thing where he, he says everything for our benefit and for Luke's. Um, I do think that's the most compelling sequence in the 20. Oh, it's not even close. The dialogue is really good. The acting and the dialogue... Well, actually, the dialogue isn't that great. It's, it's fine. Menacing. It's fine. It's menacing. But it's only menacing because Ian McDermott is incredible. He's amazing. He yeah. is so good in this. He's yeah. so evil, saying lines that really aren't that evil, but because he said them, are so intimidating. You will find 
that it is you who are mistaken about a great many things. I, I just wrote so many of the things down. It just like I wrote too many lines of his down. I think I wrote everything he says. He says, as you can see, my apprentice, your friends have failed. Now witness the firepower of this fully armed and operational battle station. Fire at will, commander. When he says battle station, he kind of spits it. Battle station. And it's just, it's, it's disgusting. Oh, it's very <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the actor's 39 and he looks 140. <laughs> was that designed? Was that was that planned? His casting with the hope that someday he could play younger Palpatine? Uh, I don't think so. That's convenient. I'm pretty sure it's purely just very convenient. It really is. Yeah. I mean, he, I know George wanted. I mean, there's always the the notion that he had mentioned there was the chance he may go back and do the prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know at that point how confident he was that he would do that. Right. So. Well, and they never say the name Palpatine in the original series. And Ian McDermott was not movie star famous. Like, I think he had a successful acting career aside from Star Wars, but he was never, like, a household name or a recognizable face. And, in fact, he wasn't using his most recognizable face in his most famous appearance. But through his arc in the prequel trilogy, I'm pretty sure it serves as a bit of a twist that uh, Senator Palpatine, who appears to be a good guy, turns out to be the great emperor. I think it's supposed to be, uh, to a degree. I don't think I, I clicked in when I, I was a kid. I think it's supposed to be a twist for kids. Yeah, specifically because okay. the internet wasn't so much of a big thing then. Yeah, the internet would have ruined it, and it would have ruined it, especially for kids. But adults, so I guess, would have been maybe more inclined to find out something like that in the internet, or be more likely to know who Ian McDermott was to be able to see. Wait a minute, I've recognized that name from. The subtitles are, oh, I know that guy played the Emperor just because I'm such a Star Wars fan. Whereas I think this was an opportunity for a twist provided for a new generation. Right. However, I didn't know who Ian McDermott was, and I knew he was a bad dude in The Phantom Menace. And it was obvious to me. Because he seemed kind of evil? Yeah, he seemed like he had a hidden agenda the entire time. I didn't realize he was the Phantom Menace and that he would end up being uh, the Emperor. I didn't clue into that until Attack of the Clones. Uh, as like an eight-year-old. Yeah, well, that's true. I was going to say, maybe I, I just thought that he hadn't turned evil yet, but no, he plays both characters in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, I thought, I thought there was a chance. I was like, is that him? I'm not really sure. There but is a version. You don't theorize as a six-year-old. There is a version of Palpatine before he was the emperor, and he was just Palpatine, I guess, Darth Sidious, yep. uh, who wore like the cloak with the black robe. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't trying to cover his horrific scars. We just see his mouth and his chin. That's uh, just to preserve the secrecy. Oh, well, there's also, there is no scarring at that point yet. No, exactly. Or, yeah, some people say he's preserve, he's hiding his real face and Mace Windu reveals his face, but who knows how that works. Yeah. Some people say that the dark side has decayed his face so much that uh, he's constantly putting on a mask. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, no, yeah, literally putting on a mask that his face in... Um, Oh, Phantom. so that his scarred face is actually his real face because it's the face of evil. Exactly, that he is so just entrenched in dark in the dark side force that everything he does just goes into that, and his body is just a shriveled mess. Well, that's not dissimilar from Gollum, then, who is mangled exactly. and shriveled by greed and obsession. Yep. 
Um, that's actually a, that's a really interesting comparison, yeah. but a, I think a pretty apt one. Well, the difference is Gollum is pathetic and helpless. Yes, exactly. Whereas the Emperor gathers power from his obsessions. Right, right. So the thing Palpatine or the Emperor dangles over Luke the most in this movie is, is probably his primary way of taunting him is by trying to incept into Luke that he is his master. Uh -huh. Not, you will be my Padawan, you already are my Padawan. I'm looking forward to completing your training. In time, you will call me Master. And Vader kind of lays the groundwork for that at the beginning. And when they're walking in the hallway, and like you said, it's not adversarial, but it's kind of tense. He uh, he, he tells Luke um, that the Emperor will show him the Force. Is this Vader resigning to the fact that he's about to be killed? Does he know? I don't know if Vader knows exactly that he's going to be taken out with the trash. But he is a he's totally pathetic in this sequence. He really is. Uh, because even he's you can so subservient. It, you, that's exactly the way it is. There's even the back and forth of the emperors taunting Luke. And um, Luke says, you're wrong. Soon I'll be dead and you with me. The emperor laughs. Perhaps you'd refer to the imminent attack of your rebel fleet. Uh, yes, I assure you, we're quite safe here from your friends. Uh, your overconfidence is your weakness. And your lack of faith in your faith in your friends is yours. Vader's response to this argument is, it is pointless to resist, my yeah. son. Yeah, that is a loaded line, isn't it? Because growing up, all he had was this guy who, who was like a fatherly-esque figure mm -hmm. in his life mm -hmm. that was just evil and destroying his life from the get-go. I mean, yeah. uh, we'll watch your career with great interest just basically means I'm going to fuck you up mentally so hard over the next decade yeah. that you're going to kill a bunch of sand people the next time we see you. So it could mean that. It could also just mean you are within your right to not trust this evil emperor. It makes sense that you don't trust him, but why not just give in? He's stronger than you. I see it more as not necessarily he's stronger than you. He was stronger than me is the way yes. I see it. Right. Like Luke just... There's no point. I, there was no way around it. But I, I was in a position where he, I knew he was evil, and I still killed the leader of the Jedi Council and joined him. Except at that time, from his point of view, the Jedi were evil. They weren't, though. And that's, <laughs> no, but that's I know the that line. was a, I know it was a great line. <laughs> it, that's that, and that is really the one fundamental flaw of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, uh, and it's such a shame because otherwise there are really so many great elements in that movie. Yeah. Is the fact that Anakin shouldn't have turned so quickly on the Jedi. It makes sense for him to agree with Palpatine. Yeah. And, to, it, and, the, and the Mace Windu scene works, I think. It's his quick turn, like the slaughtering of the younglings and such. Yeah. Just like, too, it was too quick of a turn, yeah. which is a shame. He goes but, all in. Yeah, exa exactly. And, yeah. and maybe that's what... It, it, it's, interesting. it's interesting seeing the way Anakin was pathetic and the way that Luke is strong here. So does Vader think if he were to have to battle to the death with Luke, which is clearly a possibility, like yep. Palpatine is, is... Well, that's is, what kind of happens. Well, sure it is. It, Palpatine is another thing he orchestrated. He, that's why he's threatening Luke and he's not threatening them against him. each other. He's saying, strike me down. I'm unarmed because he knows Vader is going to defend him mm -hmm. and he knows there's going to be some kind of battle to the death. So does Vader think he can take Luke? Oh, I think Vader thinks he has no problem taking Luke if he needs to. Yeah. But Vader doesn't want to. No. So that's why he's also telling Luke, like, 
pointless to resist because this is an opportunity for him to still win. The best scenario in this case right here is for Vader to not have conflict with Palpatine and to have Luke join their side. But he probably knows that means he's going to get killed in the process. And for him, serving Palpatine is the more important thing than not dying in the process. Right, but... Like, he's he considers himself... It's almost weird where Anakin, for once, is thinking about himself last. <laughs> yes, but uh, Palpatine's... The Emperor's confidence is entirely uh, based on uh, his belief in Vader's subservience to him. Yep. All Vader has to do... He doesn't have to go good. All he has to do is kill the Emperor the way any good Sith Padawan would in that moment... Mm-hmm. And deal with the rest after, but he like like Kylo Ren does. He just has to strike down the Emperor. He does, but at the same time, this is the guy who has been planting seeds in his mind for thirty six years. You're right, he's brainwashed. Yeah, he's yeah. like forty five at this point, uh, or like forty six. Yeah, Vader is. Uh, yeah, he's completely brainwashed. Yeah, he he has no ability to make decisions for himself, really. And that's and that's kind of the big thing is where. Him, his decision to pick up the emperor to kill him uh, is the first time in, in yeah. such a long that's in, really monumental. in his life yeah. that he went and defied uh, Palpatine you're wrong soon I'll be dead and you with me <laughs> so when Luke says you said it a second ago he said soon I'll be dead yeah. and, and you will be with me probably the most badass line from Luke in the whole damn trilogy it is but what does it mean it means he's going there with pure sacrifice in mind okay I think as a kid it was very jarring to me because I didn't want Luke to die and I knew he wouldn't die and so he I has to escape I really after understand. though I know, but I did. It didn't make sense to me why he would be like submitting himself to death because all I all I saw it as was Luke fighting tooth and nail. No, and this is a case where he knows that even if he survives, the odds are he may still get blown up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it almost does happen if their conversation lasted longer. If right. the Emperor continued to taunt him for a little while, then yeah, they all would have died. Another thing I don't think I really got as a kid was uh, just the. Uh, the mechanics of the emperor's trap like i mean i knew it's a yeah. trap but just understanding how it was all no laid, i didn't get it either for a long out. time for sure and it's not that it's complicated it's just you know how you watch stuff with abandon when you're a kid well, when you're a kid it doesn't matter right at all right you know who the good guys are and you know who the bad guys are and they showed up that's yeah. not a good thing Right, but it's pretty scary. How are they going to get out of this? Oh, it's definitely. And you see that. It's actually pretty good acting from Mark Hamill. You see it on his face like, oh, my God, we just lost. It's actually probably some of his best acting. Yeah. Uh, And there were some parts. Oh, what was the part that was possibly the worst acting? Um, Oh, when when the uh, Imperials catch up with the Rebels inside the field generator station. Yeah. Whereas, uh, like, call them Rebel scum. Yep. Uh, like maybe you're busted or something in there or something. Yeah, Han throws a box at a guy and yeah, he goes flying off yeah, a bridge. Yeah, he said something else before that. Yeah. But it's like it, the acting and the way that they say it and the way they're trying to like cuff Chewbacca, they could not look lamer. Yeah, it's pretty lame. It's like they're accountants at, I'm not going to name a firm. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Lando could rival the anybody for worst line delivery in this 20. At one point he says, that blast came from the Death Star. That thing is operational. I think <laughs> no was, kidding. I think that was pretty terrible. I thought it was bad, but I would not make it worse than the Rebel Scum line. I actually heard Lando deliver a few lines in this 20. 
And I finally heard the relationship between his accent and the one that Donald Glover attempts in Solo. You're fine. I, you're still the only person I know. I, ju- I just, I hate, uh, what are you doing with Harry and the boy? It's just, it's so, are you doing British? What are you doing? I don't get it. And in this particular 20, Lando said something that I was like, oh, I hear it there. The fighters are attacking. I wonder what those Star Destroyers are waiting for. We also had Princess Leah do uh, a handful of British lines just off the cuff so deeply, sometimes deeply it, british lines yes absolutely <laughs> governor talking governor talking uh it's a trap i mean that's, that's the, the name of the episode that's the meme line well it's not just the funny line in the episode it's also what this 20 was about it's with the entire absolutely it really fitted off perfectly where start to finish that's all it really was some really good lightsaber shots in this 20 yeah uh, it's interesting how many different... Well, this view, this movie, there's a lot of different views of that lightsaber. Yeah. And there are a lot of different versions of that lightsaber. It looks different, does it? Oh, yeah. There's a handful. There's a few that don't have the copper. There's some that are gold. There's some that are copper. Uh, the, some have a fatter neck than others. Uh, so uh, when when Palpatine is analyzing it, he says, it's much like your father's. And I don't think Anakin ever had a had a lightsaber that looked like that, did he? No, Anakin never had a lightsaber that looked Obi-Wan like that. Obi-Wan did. Obi-Wan's looked quite a bit like that. Yeah. Um, and actually, that kind of leads into a theory that I'll chat about a little bit a little bit later. Okay. Uh, but it's kind of interesting. And I had always just assumed, but I don't know why I assumed so incorrectly, but so close to correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Force vision that happens in The Force Awakens, where we see Kylo Ren you can kind of faintly see what looks like Luke's lightsaber around his belt. Yes. It's not Luke's lightsaber. It's Obi-Wan's lightsaber. Okay. It's absolutely Obi-Wan's lightsaber. Right. That Kylo Ren has now found. And the reason why he's so damn obsessed with getting the Graflex, Anakin's lightsaber, at the end is because that's the one he was looking for all along. And he found Obi-Wan's saber as opposed to Anakin's. Oh. Rey found Anakin's as opposed to her grandfather's, Obi-Wan's. And Kylo Ren, at the same time, is having a Force vision. Oh, boy. So this is a whole other can of worms. This is built off of a theory that I uh, that actually it came out about a year and a half ago, and I yeah. had seen it right when it was new. And uh, that's it confirmed further. I was thinking Kenobi. And at that point, like after I first saw The Force Awakens, I was like, it just seems like that might be the only way. And then I, this theory, and it's by, uh, uh, we'll put in the comments the specifically who, uh, who made the video, uh, or if I can look it up before the end of this. But it's just incredible. It's one of the best theory videos I've ever seen. You told uh, me this conversation wouldn't come up organically, and it, it just it, did. It just did. I know. That's so <laughs> weird. But... Yeah, so we'll do a little bit of a summary of that theory as well. It's also because it's a year and a half old, there are a lot of things that we can update because The Last Jedi didn't exist, Solo didn't exist, uh, and so we'll have some more things that can kind of be added on to that theory to kind of further validate that Rey really, if she isn't a Kenobi, J.J. is accidentally brilliant. Okay, but uh, let me just, because I don't know anything about what you're talking about. I know you don't. You're going to share all this with me, but wouldn't it be neat if... Ray with the Graflex and Ren with Kenobi's lightsaber did the battle again on Mustafar? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it would. All right. Okay, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. You just really psyched me up, though. I'm really excited now. Uh, there was a lot of talk about lightsabers in this 20, uh, and I found it interesting that Palpatine referred to it as the weapon of the Jedi. His lightsaber. Ah, uh, yes. A Jedi's weapon, much like your father's. Yes, 
I, I know that I figured you'd bring this up because it's definitely something that's going back to the original concept of the emperor, not necessarily even being a person. Yeah. George Lucas struggled to cast someone. Ian McDermott blew him away, but he wanted this figure to be almost so mythical and so powerful that it, it was hard to even see, envision them as a person. Okay. And so having him be a, a force user in that same way, being someone who would use a lightsaber, was not a, a concept. And right. Sheev Palpatine, the character the Emperor has grown to become, hated the lightsabers. Yes. He, he thought that they were a sad tool the Jedi needed to use, and he would toy with them because he was so much better than so many of them with their own damn weapons. Well, and that's fine, uh, but much like Yoda, I don't think it was necessary to have him do a lightsaber duel in, in uh, Revenge of the Sith. I think that was mm-hmm. fan I service. I, I agree. That's Neither of them should have done more than one duel. And potentially neither of them should have done any. I think they kind of made, I think they leaned into the tradition of the Jedi a little bit too much in the prequels. Like, I think in George's original vision, like, this is what some of the Jedis had, but you didn't have to have one. And it wasn't exclusive to you. And, like, maybe the only reason, maybe the only reason Darth Vader carries one is because he used to be a Jedi before he was a Sith Lord. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, there there may be potential where uh, it, it all kind of it did. It wasn't so much of a if you're a Jedi, you absolutely have a lightsaber, um, or if you have a, if you're a Force user, you absolutely have a lightsaber. I'm not I'm not quite sure what George's plans were on that, but I would think, considering the way the prequels ended up, that that's likely what so, along the lines was the way he was thinking. Just one more observation about Palpatine and Luke and his tormenting of him. Is it really a very good sell job of come over here and join me to kill all of his friends? And then basically mock him the entire time. Yeah, that's not like, good flirting. It's <laughs> Like that's so Neil Strauss the game. He's putting him down by killing all his friends. <laughs> You know what I mean? He's going to beat him into submission? It's yeah. just like... Well, like, that's the thing. Like, he's... he's I'm going to kill all your friends, and then you're going to call me master? No. Well, it's it's really cool, actually. I'm glad you brought up the master thing again, because I wanted to mention it before. I just... It slipped my mind. But in Rebels, uh, because Maul is so fantastic uh, yeah. in Rebels, he calls Ezra uh, his apprentice from the very beginning. Oh. Um, like, immediately. Um, they introduce themselves and they exchange... And they're adversaries, right? No, they exchange names. He doesn't know who he is. So Ezra doesn't know who Maul is. But Maul can tell that this is a young Force user. And Ezra, doesn't on... even, Ezra doesn't even know that Maul is bad. No. Okay. They're on Malachor, though, which is the home planet of the Sith. Uh, so he should be on guard. And, and he he was, for the most part, when he first met Maul. Uh, he said his name was Jabba, as a, like just giving him a fake name. And so... <laughs> Maul said, you can call me Old Master. Oh. And so he constantly was telling him to call him Master, constantly was calling him Apprentice, even when Ezra's real master, Kanan, was there to completely just undermine him. He would still call Ezra his Apprentice. Yeah. Uh, Just trying to almost, if he said it enough, it would become reality. To manipulate. Yeah. It's a power move. Yeah, big time. And so it was interesting that they used that, that the Sith kind of used that a couple times where it's, uh, they take the under-the-wing approach so early on, uh, and very much like the Emperor did with, with Anakin, uh, and then so quickly became uh, a hard-ass with him. Give me a Padawan question. Oh, yeah. We totally skipped through those. Trivia was pretty tough for me. How many did you get? 
I came up with three, but they're all hard. Give me your Padawan first, just because in case case I accidentally have the same question as you. At what angle do the rebel pilots gauge the placement of those three sudden TIE fighters? What? (laughs) This is my Padawan question. This is the Padawan question? They're really hard. All three questions are really hard. Uh, I have a guess 20 degrees. It is 20 degrees. Is it actually? Yeah, it is. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I had a hunch it was 20 or 200. You're the worst. <laughs> Ask me. Um, what are the four squadrons in the Battle of Endor? Uh, red. No. <clears throat> nope. Nope. Lucas Red. Uh, green. Gray, brown, and blue. No. All right. (laughs) What are they? I'm going to ask you. Well, no, I can't really. I'll I'll figure out a way to rearrange that then. Uh, They are uh, red. Okay. Wedge is red leader. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, They are green, gray, and gold. 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 There's always a gold leader. There's always a gold leader. All right. Okay. What's your next question? Uh, how many red bars light up before the door to the emperor's chamber opens? Did you intentionally think that this would be funny just to come up with the most fucked up questions to ask me? Yeah. Um, three. Five. Ah, five. You're two for two for oh. I'm one for two. Oh, yeah. You got (laughs) All right. Fine. Of two for oh, Colin? I got two questions right, but I haven't answered any. Never mind. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Go. Um. Well, how about this? You're gonna have a one. Th- you have a one in three chance of getting this right. Okay, and basically a hundred percent if you think about it. Okay. What is Lando's call sign in the Battle of Endor? What is his call sign? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I don't really know what a call sign is. Uh, like Luke's being red five. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I see. Uh. One in three. If you used your logic on this, you really should be able to get it. Jeez. Um, nothing is jumping out at me. I don't know. Oh, Colin. Give me a hint. We, I just asked you a question about what were the squadrons. Yeah. That's my hint. <laughs> That's a really good hint. Okay. Is he, is he, is he blue leader? Dude, there's no blue leader. Why not? There should be. There isn't though. Blue leaders all died in Rogue One. Oh, okay. I don't know. What it is it? What, He's I, gold leader. Oh, he is gold leader. Okay. <laughs> there, Lando is a general. There are four squadrons. Wedge is the red. There are only three left. Okay, of but course I, he's not green or gray. He's gold. He's a he's Lando. He's I know, Lando. but I thought all of those were X-wing fighters. I didn't know that he was one of those guys. Well, that's the reason why I made it a night question because it does only it is only subtly mentioned and Wedge mentions it casually. What is the name of Lando's co-pilot in the Falcon? Oh, Ninum. Okay, I know that's not your question. Ah, oh, fuck. What is the language and dialect that Ninub speaks? Celestin. No, I'm looking for the Earthling dialect. It's not a fake language. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know. Flemish? No, it's Hyen, which is a Kenyan dialect. Oh, I picked as random as I could, and yeah. so that so did they, clearly. <laughs> yeah, they really did. Apparently, like people who spoke that language when they saw Star Wars were so thrilled. Oh, that's good. I'm yeah, glad. They, they would be. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
Well, I guess, was that all three of yours? That's it. Okay, so I'll ask mine as well. This is one that uh, it sh- probably shouldn't be a master level question. Probably okay. should be closer to night, but somewhere in there. Uh, what are the wings of an X-Wing called? Um, I don't know. S-foils. S-foils. Another letter. Yep, S-foils. Okay, why? Do we know? No, just lock S-foils in position is a common Star Wars term. I guess it is, yeah. yeah. Anything you want to uh, take back to the drawing board? I mean, uh, Ewoks are pretty prominent in this 20, but they don't really do anything except like yelp and swing from vines. Yeah, stuff. they're kind of useless for the most part, to There's, be honest. Th- it's my third week in a row of complaining that uh, like twigs and tiny rocks can imp- can kill stormtroopers. Yeah, I mean, they have such an uh, like such a big part in this movie, and yet they really shouldn't. Yeah. But there's only so much you can say about that. There's like a paraglider shot with an Ewok that's pretty cheap looking. The paraglider shot's pretty bad, especially seeing as he's doing great up there, but dies because a stray laser goes through one of the, the wings on this thing. Yeah. He, he made that paraglider pretty well. I don't think that thing would have gone down. <laughs> uh, one thing that was really cool was the ATSTs and the way they were blowing up trees. They really splinter them. Yeah. Like it's quite, like it's good, it's good uh, special, it's good real effects. Uh, it was very well done in that regard. Yeah, I'll, I've always been a fan of those. I'm not sure they'd be practical in like in actual battle, but I think they're cool. Oh, they look great. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, only other thing I really want to bring back to the drawing board is when uh, R2 gets shot unlocking the door oh to the base. Oh, my God. And he freaks out. It's terrible. It's really bad. Yeah. It's it's like when Donald Duck doesn't want to wake up, so he hits his alarm clock with a hammer, and there's like springs everywhere. Yeah. It looks like that. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. It's very, very cartoonish. Yes, it is. Um, there's one part I liked where Vader, when he's having that conversation, that kind of intense conversation with Luke uh, on the pedway before he brings him up to the Emperor, he's talking to him very much the way like a child, like a father would scold his child. Definitely. I think it's really interesting that yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, they do have that cool sort of dynamic. You don't know the power of the dark side. The token Han Solo quote in this 20 uh, is when they're sneaking into the base, and this is just before uh, the the Ewok kind of wanders off on his own and spoils their their secrecy. Uh, Leia says, "It only takes one to sound the alarm," and he goes, "Then we'll do it real quiet, like." Yeah, that really was a great line. Why is he being so lippy with Leia? He's lippy with Leia always. I know, and she's lippy back. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's their best relationship. It's actually great that they don't stay. Like a happy married couple. Forever it's fitting and ever. for sure because they would not be a very a very functional. They couple. stayed together for a long time. They though. did. They yeah. stayed together for twenty five years. I know, but f- for that having been Disney's first foray into Star Wars, it's actually not very Disneyfied for them to have broken up Han and Leia. Yes and no. There are very few happily married people in Disney. True. Very few happily married. But parents. usually people die. Yeah. And then they killed Han. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's so funny, too, because uh, I think it was that uh, Walt Disney's dad was never around. He, Walt Disney's dad died really young. Oh, is and, that explain it? And that's why so many uh, Disney characters only have a single mom. Yeah. And so and then they killed Han Solo. <laughs> so it's just Leia. Kylo Ren is a single. Uh, yeah. Disney will do anything to tribute Walt. There you go. 
single mom Leia. So uh, there's not a whole lot that happened in the news. You and I got the chance to go see Solo again for only the second time since it came out. Yeah. Anything it, Anything else that you noticed the second viewing around? I actually enjoyed it a little bit more the second time. Well, one thing, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but one complaint I had was that Maul looked fat. Yeah. We had seen it in 3D the first time because right. it was the only thing that was available. In 3D IMAX. In 3D fact. IMAX. That was the reason why. Yeah. And it was so great to see him in like normal fucking cinema because he looked great he looked awesome yeah he looked ex- and that it, it threw me off the first time i saw it i was stoked to see him but pissed that it didn't look a damn thing like him yeah but it was just distortion from the damn 3d right uh so i was really happy about that that made that part a little better knowing kira's story and her arc as a character and uh, i guess kind of her intentions and motivations throughout the movie that was def that definitely made her a better character it did i I appreciated her a lot more this time. I'm really hung up now on what comes of Kira. I was hung up big time before. Uh, I'm not necessarily more so now, but I think that's the reason why I was left not liking her is because she posed too many questions. (laughs) I think because of her significance in this movie and apparently her significance in the underbelly of the galaxy. Well, and that's... How come we haven't heard of this character? That's what I'm thinking. So either they need to figure out a way to explain why she's not around anymore or they're going to need to clarify that she is, in fact, still alive and 76 years old in the era of Episode Nine. And I'm not saying saying they should put her in the movie, but... they have to do something. Well, I want to bring it up because you mentioned it the other day. If they ever did that, if they were to possibly bring her back and put her in nine in some way to create some like big connection there, do not want them to do that just no. because Kira's a good character or is becoming a good character, I think, with more time could become a really good oh, character. Oh, there could be a really good story to tell with yeah, that. I think, yeah, but this is not the time or the place. Do not do it there. Right. Uh, but in, in that same vein... Helen Mirren. Yeah. Helen Mirren, she, I mean, she'd be, she can be ice cold. They could kill her. It's a one-off movie. Mm-hmm. She's open to cool, weird stuff like this. That's not just like important dramatic acting. And she'd be excellent. And she did Red, that weird movie. Yeah, that's right. Retired and extremely dangerous. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think probably like the poshness is on point. They're both like incredibly beautiful women. Um, I'd be she would be an absolute like criminal mastermind. See, that's that's what I want to see is Helen Mirren as a criminal mastermind in Star Wars. And, yeah. In all seriousness. Like, it well, sounds I, funny to say it out loud. Well, to be honest, I totally agree. Yeah. It doesn't need to be Kira. It can be anybody else, even. Yeah. Uh, I don't want that done in Nine, but I would be open to that. I really would be open to that yeah. in a different story. I think she'd, that could be she'd cool. bring some acting gravitas to the character, too, that, that maybe Amelia Clark isn't quite capable of. Yeah, although I was actually more impressed with her performance this time than I was initially, just because certain times that were maybe a little lackluster maybe makes a little bit more sense now Honestly, knowing her intentions. I think, I think some of the stuff I felt iffy about I uh, liked more in the second viewing and the stuff I definitely didn't like, I like less. Yeah, which, no. which is Lando. Oh, really? Yeah. I just don't get I don't get Donald Glover's Lando. I don't get it. Would you have cast someone differently no i don't i don't know if it's the problem with the casting although maybe i it's too it's not it's not the same guy at all it's the same with with han it's like this is a totally different character true and i definitely agree that they didn't um grow them enough as people but lando it kind of fits i can definitely see just in the conversation that he first has with han that this is a step up for lando 
being kind of the Baron administrator in Cloud City. Yeah. He's now taken on this legit role where he used to be a total shyster and just would screw people left, right, and center. Yeah. Didn't really have a moral compass. And I, I see it as more of like a growth of Lando, whereas he was, like Han was immature and naive. As a young guy, Lando was a dick. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, but he's never a dick in, in the original movies. He does one shady True. thing, but he kind of did it because he was backed into a corner. No, and, I, and but that's what I mean is I don't necessarily see it as like it being a bad thing or that the characters are different. Yeah. I think someone like Lando, the Lando we see in Empire Strikes Back, would have probably been an asshole at 20. Maybe you're right. 25. Maybe you're right. He would have been so up his own ass yep. thinking he was the greatest thing in the world just like Donald Glover's Lando was. Right. Like, he was so, come sit at my table. <laughs> like, Harry and the boy, yeah. although the delivery on that line Harry may not be great, is an excellent line. I guess. That is such a great way to make Han feel like a child. Yeah, it's condescending. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really liked it. Uh, I agree with you, though, in the sense that you can see maybe the character... It doesn't work as well, and that it, like they're not exactly the same. Right. I see a growth more clearly for Lando than I do for Han. Han, I'm still like, well, where's the changing moment? Yeah. Lando, that can come with literally just age. Han gets more cynical. What's yeah. making him more cynical? It's right. not maturity. It has to be his dealings with Jabba the Hutt on Tatooine. It has, yeah. to, has to be becoming like a solo... <laughs> Uh, a smuggler. Yeah, that must be it. So, uh, any more news? Anything that happened in the world of Star Wars in the last week? Kind of nothing, right? Uh, yeah, correction. I think I said uh, Chris uh, Marquand when I was talking last week about uh, Chris McQuarrie. Okay. So, just in terms of someone who stop sending your angry letters we know no one sent any letters i just (laughs) noticed the other day i was just like oh i totally had that wrong so uh we've been going for 40 minutes do you want to get into your interesting theory or should we tack it on later yeah let's cut to that now let's uh, switch over and talk about that a little bit the force awakens is an amazing movie absolutely loved it the first time i saw it and frankly every time since but when you leave that movie for the very first time and essentially any time you watch it you're always left wondering well, who the hell is Snoke? This is very untelling. And then, of course, they doubled down on that with The Last Jedi. But you're also left wondering, who's who are Rey's parents? Where does she come from? What's her background? But the interesting thing with that is, they did give us an answer to that in The Last Jedi. Is it right? Maybe, maybe not. We're going to chat a little, bit, a little bit here. Uh, but a theory from Vincent Vandetta on YouTube. So I was looking on YouTube a while back. I was very into theory videos. Because, well, with Star Wars, it's it's a lot of fun to theorize. It can become a dangerous game sometimes if you do it too much. But So I was looking through, and I had been thinking, after watching the movie a few times, I was thinking it was, Kenobi maybe made sense, Palpatine could be a good option as well. Uh, but really, after watching the video from Vincent Vendetta about a year ago, I'd say... I was really sold on it, and so I went searching for that video again, and I have to say it's truly a masterpiece. Uh, 25 minutes long, uh, if you type Ray Kenobi into YouTube, uh, it's a picture of Ray and Obi-Wan's faces next to each other. Highly recommend you watch that video, but I'm gonna kind of go through some theories that uh, they cover in that video, kind of summarizing those, and then add on a few things that I picked up on and some things that just hadn't been released at that point. The video is a year and a half old, so there was no Last Jedi at that point, but there are a lot of things in The Last Jedi that do lead to the Rey Kenobi theory. So when I left 
the theater after The Force Awakens, uh, it was interesting because Daisy Ridley was saying things like she thought it was easy for people to figure out her background, which for me meant, okay, she definitely has some form of connection. She's not just a nobody. Uh, and JJ said that Ray's parents aren't in The Force Awakens, and so I was never sold on Skywalker. I never thought she was a Skywalker or a Solo, uh, and that's really what only left me with like Kenobi and Palpatine as potential options, but Kenobi makes a lot of sense. There's the English accent, which isn't convincing on its own, but it helps, certainly. Uh, Obi-Wan tells you, these are your first steps, and he says that to Ray during her Force vision, and that's a familial line. That's the kind of thing you would say to a child. Now, the theory is that Obi-Wan would be Rey's grandfather, not father. That would absolutely not work. However, the ages work perfectly for a grandfather, so that's quite good. But with this, Star Wars is about family soap operas, and it only makes sense to kind of continue that. It's just a matter of they take place in space. Uh, so when they first mapped out this trilogy, the odds are they thought, okay, well, what worked really well in the past and what hasn't worked well? And the original trilogy was awesome, and Obi-Wan from the prequels was awesome. So why would they not use Obi-Wan at all? They've clearly stuck to the original trilogy, building around that timeline and building out from there and kind of avoiding the prequels, but especially Obi-Wan. He's one of the most likable characters, and he has been left off the face of the map. It's very weird. And so it doesn't make sense that they would stop using him after paying Disney, paying Lucasfilm billion, $4 billion to buy it. It's just it's not a smart idea. Uh, so there were a few other things that Vincent Vandetta really picked up on that were quite interesting. Uh, they both took the Graflex from the chest to give to Luke. That was one interesting point. So Ray took the Graflex in The Force Awakens from the chest in Maz Kanata's castle, and in the very end of the movie, is handing it out to Luke. Reminiscent to the way Obi-Wan handed that saber down to Luke in the very first place. Uh, both Rey and Obi-Wan have meditated in the middle of a lightsaber battle. Rey on Starkiller Base and Obi-Wan right before he gets killed by Vader. Uh, there's also a few other elements on who potentially could be Rey's mother. Uh, that is linked in with uh, the theory that Vincent Vendetta has. And that's interesting because he goes on to think that potentially Rey's mother could be Sabine, and Sabine is a character from Rebels, and that Satine, a character from the Clone Wars, could be her grandmother. Now, Satine was a character that Obi-Wan had as a love interest during the Clone Wars. It was, it's been definitely theorized that if there's a potential for Obi-Wan offspring, it would likely have come from that relationship, but there is also a 19-year period on Tatooine, so a lot could happen, but if that were the case, Obi-Wan would need to have his offspring pretty early on in that time period. So the Satine theories work really well, that Obi-Wan could have had a child with Satine, the Duchess of Mandalore, and that could be where the offspring continued from there. Now, Sabine, a character from Rebels with a history that we don't really know about who her parents are, and she comes from Mandalore and is the right age to fit it and was a character that was introduced and prominently featured through Rebels. So there's potential there. I'm not so much convinced on the Sabine angle, but the Satine angle for sure. Uh, a few other things. Uh, Kylo Ren, uh, when he's fighting Rey in The Force, Awake, in the Force Awakens, uh, when she is right about to beat him, she, uh, she kicks him and she slices him across the face. Uh, it's very, very reminiscent to the way Obi-Wan uses the Force to pull the lightsaber of Qui-Gon, slice Darth Maul in half, and kick him. So it's interesting there 
because the same music also plays in those two scenes. So the same music plays as Rey is beating Kylo, kicking him and striking him the same way that Obi-Wan does with Maul. Uh, Rey also has the natural ability to use force persuasion, the ability to convince the stormtrooper in The Force Awakens to drop his blaster with essentially no training. Now, Luke has shown to struggle with this in the past, and Qui-Gon, it's something that throughout Star Wars, force persuasion isn't easy, but Rey does it without any problem, and Obi-Wan, that is a signature Obi-Wan move without any issues whatsoever. He does it in Attack of the Clones. It's one of the first things we see of the Force in A New Hope. So it's certainly something that they're trying to subtly drop throughout the movie. Uh, the way she sneaks around Starkiller Base is very reminiscent of the way Obi-Wan snuck around the Death Star. Uh, it also explains why Leia would hug Rey over Chewie. And so JJ would have likely been backpedaling and that it wasn't really a mistake in the end. Uh, and Maz Kanata also says, uh, this is one that I picked up on, but that she's seen the same eyes in many people. And then they cut away quickly from Han. And that's pretty much implying Han definitely knows where she comes from. So if Han knows where she comes from, and we to some degree knows where she comes from, because she's not going to be a nobody in that regard, then it puts us in kind of a weird spot. There's not that many people to pick from. And so it really is narrowing it down even more to kind of only leaving Obi-Wan. But the real seller is the theory Ray of Arc. And now this is Vincent Vendetta and it's incredible. And it's really the part that hammers it home. And to be honest, is almost spoiler level how accurate it probably is. The story of Joan of Arc is actually what is paralleling with The Force Awakens. Uh, a lot of us, including myself, thought it was King Arthur and the story of Excalibur, the way that they treat the Graflex and that. But it's actually the tale of Joan of Arc if you kind of look at some other things that have been put around. So there was a supposed scene that was going to be in The Force Awakens involving her laying in a grassy field and finding a lightsaber. This happens in Joan of Arc. Uh, when Joan touches the sword, she has a vision running down uh, a hallway. Ray also has that vision when she touches the lightsaber. Uh, there are rays of light that she describes seen in her vision. Ray's name is Ray. <laughs> uh, Joan of Arc sees a burning village in her, villi in her vision. Ray sees Luke's burning temple. Uh, she sees a man that she's actually able to interact with in her vision. Ray sees Kylo in her vision and she's able to interact with him. And this is where it gets good. The vision where we see Kylo killing someone involves him seeing Ray. So it's very clear that he also sees her too, but he also appears to be the only one who sees her. There are extended shots of him with the Knights of Ren from the trailers that have them kind of staring at him like he looks like he's almost in like a spaced out state or like he's just had like a meltdown or something or like he's talking to a ghost. He looks, he looks alone and isolated, whereas maybe he's having a vision too. And this is cool because Rey has her vision when she touches Anakin's lightsaber. And the theory of this is that Kylo has a vision when he touches Obi-Wan's. And that as someone obsessed with the past, he would have potentially gone searching for other uh, relics. He found Vader's helmet. He said that that lightsaber belongs to me in The Force Awakens. And everything that happens in The Last Jedi with his obsessions with the past, it's very likely that Kylo could have gone looking for the Graflex or even more likely, in my opinion, he went looking for Vader's saber and found Obi-Wan's instead. Uh, if he heard through the grapevine that an old blue lightsaber was found, he could have assumed the, Gra the Graflex. If he heard through the grapevine that an old lightsaber of Darth Vader's was found and he went searching for that, 
Well, he could have found Obi-Wan's lightsaber because Darth Vader picked up and kept Obi-Wan's lightsaber. So it's very possible that potentially Sith acolytes of some way, shape, or form, or someone who was uh, obsessed with Darth Vader thought they had Vader's real lightsaber and didn't realize that it was the wrong damn color. Or who knows, maybe it was just because it was in actual possession of Vader, which it was. Uh, there's also a few things that you can kind of take out that if that vision and the kind of Joan of Arc theory is true, then it makes more sense in a couple other things too, because both protagonists are introduced to the audience wearing masks, uh, and that signals the importance of the inevitable reveal, because Rey can't see Kylo's face in her vision, and potentially he can't see her face in his vision. It would like to be covered by the same mask that we see her wearing at the very start of The Force Awakens. And so that would make it more understandable as to why Kylo kind of knows who she is, but isn't sure. He says, what girl, with intense anger when he first hears of BB-8 escaping from Jakku with a girl. And when he first meets her, he studies her, and it's very clear that he's trying to see something, he's trying to determine. Uh, and then later on, when he, she uses the Force to grab the Graflex and he doesn't get it, in the novelization of The Force Awakens, he mumbles under his breath, it is you. Well, it's pretty clear he knows who she is. Uh, and when you want to keep in mind that Disney has been keeping Obi-Wan Kenobi on our minds, and there's really not that many people to pick from when it's left, and all of kind of the other indicators, especially with the Joan of Arc theory, it only makes sense. Uh, Obi-Wan returned in Rebels. Maul returned in Rebels. Maul returned in Solo. Maul was one of Obi-Wan's biggest antagonists. Uh, Obi-Wan was left out of Battlefront 2. One of the biggest, the biggest Star Wars game, and they leave out one of the most important characters in Star Wars. And they're releasing him at a later date, potentially closer to Episode 9, when we hear the reveal. Also, Kylo Ren was called Ben. <laughs> That's to try and keep it in our mind. And he was called Ben so much in The Last Jedi, it's crazy. They just consistently kept calling him Ben, potentially to try and put it back in our minds a little that old Ben Kenobi isn't done yet. His story's not done. But a couple other things from The Last Jedi to add would be Snoke's line about striking down your true enemy. How is Rey Kylo's true enemy? It doesn't make sense at all. She gave him a scar a couple of days prior to that, but that doesn't mean that she would be his true enemy. However, that would be a line you would deliver to someone who has a deep-rooted family conflict. Now, if she was the, the grandchild of Obi-Wan Kenobi, him as the grandchild of Anakin Skywalker, Snoke could absolutely pit those two together and say, this is your true enemy, kill her. Although ultimately he kills Snoke as his true enemy, but Snoke would not have spoken like that unless there was an extra level of significance. Also, the teamwork between Kylo and Rey when they fight the Praetorian Guards is insane. They kick ass, they're so much better as a team, kinda like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker, the best Jedi team there ever was. Uh, Obi-Wan is also a drinker uh, in the book Dark Disciple, uh, and you'll notice at certain points he doesn't really turn down a drink ever in Star Wars. Not many characters drink in Star Wars. At all. Obi-Wan does a lot. For, some, for, a story, for stories that take place at cantinas and bars, Obi-Wan is one of the only primary characters that is regularly seen drinking. Kylo does tell Rey that her parents were drunks. Potentially that gene passed down if Obi-Wan didn't know he had children. 
Maybe he had children who were being raised in a way where there was no chance they would discover their force sensitivities, and potentially Jakku, and ultimately ended up wasting their lives. And Rey is kind of just this lost part of a lineage, and that her connection to Obi-Wan is separated purely by family and DNA. It's got nothing to do with her parents. You can take that angle too, and I have a highly suspicious feeling that Ryan Johnson would love that. Ryan Johnson loves fucking with people. He loves messing with their heads. And if he could have the opportunity to reveal that her parents are nobodies, but then JJ then has the opportunity to in nine reveal that that's true, we're not gonna retcon that, but her grandparents were somebody. That's really interesting. It allows JJ and Ryan Johnson to kind of have had almost like a plan with this for the, for the whole time. Obviously, Colin Trevorrow was supposed to play along with that, but maybe he couldn't come up with a way to unveil the Kenobi, the Ray Kenobi element well enough, and so Disney fired him and brought back the guy who came up with it. Who knows, it's just spitballing, but one final thing about the Ray Kenobi theory that really does seal it for me, uh, on top of everything else, the one that is clearly, in my opinion, the biggest parallel in The Last Jedi, and that would be the way Ray closes the door on the Falcon, and she's having a vision of seeing Kylo, and Kylo's on the ground, totally defeated after facing Luke, and he's looking up and having a vision where she has the high ground, and the Skywalker doesn't, and she closes the door on that chapter and walks away. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, thank you for listening to another week of the show. We only have one more episode left of this season. That's right. Can you believe how fast this went? It went really quickly. We have we have one more episode left in the original trilogy of Star Wars. And in the next 20, we might see Jar Jar. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The week after next yeah, week. Yeah, not next week will be Return of the Jedi. And then and we'll we're going to move to a new studio. Yep. Because I bought a house. That's right. So that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> May have to do two weeks off in there. We'll wait and see. Uh, watch to the end of Return of the Jedi. You'll be caught up to us by next week. In the meantime, if you want to send any feedback, you can tweet us at Recorder66 or email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Uh, rate and review on iTunes. Give us the full stars because it's good for everybody. And positivity is important. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, may the force be with you.